welcome to a brand new episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. Hello Mr Grayson and obviously today we are we're experimenting a little bit with the podcast by using not only audio but visuals as well to hopefully put out on our social media channels. So it's 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 an exciting day in in the development of this podcast. Have you got props? Double props. I assume that's went without saying. I didn't know we needed to. <laughs> I, 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 you're gonna you're gonna shame me now, aren't you? I haven't got props. <laughs> You've really disappointed me now because I thought I thought this was gonna be magic. Maybe what I'll do is I'll pull out a kit in the middle of this, and you can just tell me your memories. We'll just try that. <laughs> that could work. Okay, so we're recording a week on from last week uh, when we spoke about the Liverpool game. We spoke about uh, the upcoming game against West Ham. Now, I was very anxious about the West Ham game because I had very, very sore memories of last year and our title collapsed. But we had nothing to worry about. Uh, we went there, we, we scored six goals. Who put, the, who put the ball in the West Ham net? Half a fucking team did. It was brilliant. There's only one logical place to start, and that is with the 6-0 win over West Ham. I, th- I think going back, I mean, what did, you, what did you think when you saw the team? We weren't together at this point, so it's very rare on an away day, but what were your thoughts when you saw particularly the bench? I was very worried about the bench, as you know. Um, obviously, I sent you a text saying Maro Bandera to score the winner. <laughs> Which fortunately we didn't, we weren't forced into, but it, it was a concern looking at the bench. And I think it's, it's worth noting that we have had a lot of injuries to our squad depth this season. And that's kind of gone under the radar from most of the media because our starting 11, I wouldn't say it's, it's been unaffected because like you look at the team on Sunday, like the left back position, we were missing Zinchenko. And Tommy Asu arguably comes in if he's if he's available as well. Thomas Party is another one who you'd expect would be in and around the first eleven if he was fit. So to not have him, to have Jorginho on the bench because he's missing minutes after a man of the match performance the week before is another blow. Having our starting striker missing is another blow as well. So I was fine with the first eleven because obviously I think we spoke last week and said realistically Jorginho is, is probably a player that that game was not suited for anyway and he probably wouldn't be required for that sort of fixture. But the the only thing that threw me a little bit is I, I, I thought that Havertz was essentially going to play down the middle and he obviously played a little bit deeper with Trossard playing as the furthest forward. But I did think it was very interesting the way that there is so much interlocking and interchanging of our forward players. So I think that's probably a good place to start with you, Andre. So what what did you think of our, our front line from, uh, from Sunday? I, I wonder whether we've got to start questioning whether Trossard is undroppable at the moment because... He's produced some unbelievable cameos. I thought from the off, we just looked on it. And I think what's so exciting is we actually, a lot of people were reminiscing about last season. I think they reminisce incorrectly. We didn't cut through teams quite like this. You know, this is our third time we've scored more than five goals in a game. And we're the only team still in the season that scored five. I think, I think Spurs did it at at Burnley. Yeah, they did five too. They won there. I think anyone else has scored five from memory. But to get our biggest ever away win is quite special. The irony is, with almost our whole season, though, is it it still keeps being that our defenders or a set piece opens the scoring. But how we didn't score before then, I don't know. I mean, the Areola save off Trossard's unbelievable. But I really wonder now 
whether Trossard in the false nine with Havertz complimenting him is maybe, we might have to consider it as part of our best 11. But ultimately, I just think we now look like a team that we can set up with different players in different ways. And this is a testament to Arteta only. And we look as good as the game before, almost regardless of who plays. And I think that's completely down to coaching. I just was thinking about one day he's going to leave, right? But I was like, I'd like him to do 20 years like Wenger if he carries on like this. What an incredible manager, I think, in light of Klopp going. And I was just, he has transformed us beyond belief. And he can take us to new heights. I can't get over how good we are. We went to West Ham, a team that's beaten us twice, not only dominated them, but I think this is where we have to start going. Our players are seriously, seriously good and up for the fight. They wanted revenge. Make no mistake. We did not need to go four, five, six. They smelt blood and they killed them. And for so long, we've been demanding that. So long you want that. We're not going to win six nil every game when we're on top. But the fact we were so ruthless was so impressive. And ultimately, I felt that came from Saka and Trossard because that second goal and subsequent fourth goal makes the big difference. And I thought those two in particular were were exceptional. Yeah, I think it's impossible to look at any any player from that performance and rate them below seven, seven and a half. Like everyone was fantastic. I, I would like to give a, a special shout out to Odegaard because I, I think he's just he's just absolutely magical. Everything good about what we do goes through him. And I think that's obviously, you look at like Declan Rice and what he does and it brings out the best in the other players. And the logical thing with an attacking midfielder is to look at the, the assists that they get. And on Sunday, Odegaard got, got two assists. But throughout the season, he's consistently created big chances that we've missed. And he should be on far, far higher numbers than he is at the moment based purely on the fact that we, we, we've missed so many opportunities. But invariably, when he plays well, we play well. And I thought, again, on Sunday, I, he, he, was, he was brilliant. And I also liked, uh, I thought it was very captain-esque when uh, Nwanyeri came on. I thought Odegaard was brilliant in the way that he managed him. Uh, he kept giving him the ball really early on in his little cameo performance. And as a result of that, we saw a really effective display from Nwanyeri. And I thought that was, again, a testament to why Martin Odegaard is captain of Arsenal. Ultimately, I thought this game was about, could we redeem ourselves? And, you know, I think um, hopefully we'll do a bit of a soliloquy or a dream sequence for me, reminiscing about our August preview, when I said <laughs> the game I'm most excited about is West Ham away. Hopefully this one's obvious as to why, but West Ham away in February has potential to be very entertaining because they do not like us very much right now. And that could be a lot of fun. It could be that a lot of fun. A, I like that as an answer. Now, speaking of that, um, I thoroughly enjoyed Declan Rice singing North London Forever in the team huddle. <laughs> that was amazing. That was amazing. How did that go him. down with uh, your friend Coopsy? I love him. Um, not great. And also <laughs> not helped when I put a poster on the wall uh, for a work call. I really just felt that West Ham, I quite like West Ham. And there are plenty of West Ham fans. They're fairly harmless until they beat us, right? And then they're they're, they're horrible. And they're they're suddenly West Ham fans who you've never have never watched a game and are out the woodwork ready to come for Arsenal. And look, fine, I get it. Um, but I felt as though we lost there in the cup. I was absolutely fine with that at the time, as much as it's a bit annoying. 
the home loss was in, beyond infuriating. But to go there and win 6-0, I wanted to ask you this. Would you take those two losses to win 6-0? I'm not sure. Because I think in, in the realms of this title race, I, I think those extra three points would be invaluable. So if you could guarantee me a 1-0 win at home and a 1-0 win away, I'm, I'm taking that all day long. As much as it was incredible to be at a 6-0 away win, uh, I'd still rather... The six points. <laughs> I just think it almost goes to the over-celebrating piece from last week, if we dare yeah. to carry this on. We do. <laughs> but I, I don't think we are going to win the league, as we've said. So I'm happy to trade this in because I, 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 honestly, when Declan Rice scored, it went off and not many games go off at 6-0. But when uh, Johns was sent because he was next to me. He was laughing so much when this went in because of the way Odegaard and Trossard almost ran into each other. And it was like one of them, go on, after you, after you. Oh, my God, it's Declan Rice. And when Declan hit it, you were sort of, especially where you are in the upper tier, you're like, oh, this could be going in. It's such a bad place to watch football. I still, I still stand by. I think it's the worst stadium in the league in respect of an atmospheric... And it's no slight on the West Ham fans. I've been there when they've beaten us and on TV it sounds great. But where you are in the away end, this it's just it's just not built for atmosphere whatsoever. But even when Rice scored, whether it was the the explosion of noise, the laughter, the under undercurrent joy that was full of that goal, or whether it was the seats you know, the West Ham fans that were left snapping up as they storm out because their former captain has just scored a goal that says, you know, why is he going to Arsenal? Why isn't he going to City? That's why he's going to Arsenal, everyone. That's bloody why. Because we're going to make him step up. We're going to come to your place and beat you 6-0. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> it was just so good. I just ah, uh, you live for things like this, honestly. Look, we'll probably go to Burnley and lose, but fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a that's a really natural place to come on to Declan Rice as well. Now, I was in the lower tier uh, on Sunday, and I, I agree entirely with you that there's such a gap between the lower tier and the upper tier that the atmosphere is very, very difficult to get going as a collective. So obviously there's there's noise happening in the upper tier, there's noise happening in the lower tier, but it doesn't quite connect in the same way that you'd like to at a, at a, at a different ground where everyone's congregating in one area. But as you say, it, it went off when Declan Rice scored. Now I was, for the first goal, very excited. Second goal, you think, right, this, this really puts us in a strong position. And then the third, fourth and fifth goal were just sort of like, Oh yeah, we scored again because it's almost it's almost like bored at that point. <laughs> and, then, and then when the, when the sixth went in, everyone was there was limbs in. Obviously, I've seen the video that you shared in our group chat of, of from the West Ham end of the limbs in the Arsenal end, and then the, and then the guy next to the guy filming just getting up and leaving. <laughs> it's absolutely tremendous. Um, but Declan Rice, I wrote a piece for for the Guna uh, about Declan Rice. And I, I've said consistently this season that although we've had great midfielders in, in players like Cesc Fabregas, um, if we go into a bit more unconventional with Santi Cazorla, but I think as a complete midfielder, I don't think we've had a player as good as Declan Rice since Patrick Vieira. I, I, I really think he is that good. And in my piece, I wrote that naturally he does, he does the nitty gritty and that was what we thought we were getting as a player. 
But I think he's surpassed everyone's expectations because he's just so, so consistent. He quite often looks completely shagged out in a game, but somehow just will continue these lung-bursting runs throughout a match. And he's obviously evolved into his player for the big moments as well. He'll get goals at crucial times or get goals just to take the piss against his old club. It's just, he's just an absolute joy to watch. And he does incredible things on a football pitch. And we, we've spoken in previous podcasts about the fact that they might not be the sort of incredible things that, that constantly get you off your seat. But for, for football purists, he is someone that you look at and just think, what a wonderful, wonderful player. And I, I can't speak highly enough for him. And, and, and I do think he's completely transformed how we play as a team because we now have most games two attacking players in those midfield trio as opposed to having two defensive players because Rice is so good and can play that role on his own. He's like a 12th man, really, because his energy and effervescence is unbelievable. And I have to say, I think the same is true also in a sense in terms of engine room is of Kai Havertz because he played up front and left eight and I think that's just really really impressive I watched the highlights back it's such a strange when you're in 6-0 when you watch highlights back I didn't actually watch them till Monday which is very rare I was just Sunday Super Bowl Sunday and I couldn't get over how much Havertz was involved in many of our good moves, just being the interlocking or interchanging player. But often he was where Odegaard, you'd expect Odegaard to be. But I think because Odegaard dropped deeper, it created that space. And between Trossard, Havertz, Saka and Martinelli, they just all knew what to do. I think they're unbelievable. I mean, Martinelli, I, I fancy Martinelli towards the end of this season is just going to explode into life because he looks so good. By the way, talking of this, of Declan Rice's goal, have you seen the clip of Arteta's reaction? Briefly, yes. Right. OK, there's a few takeaways. Firstly, he doesn't react when the ball goes in. He just doesn't react. And I don't know how he doesn't react. That's so impressive. The other is, if you watch the clip, he gets so angry at Martinelli's underlapping run. Honestly, he shakes his head. Right? Martinelli then flicks it between two defenders. I don't really know how. Um, I think the big upturn in form, by the way, I think several players have picked up. But Ben White, looking back to his best, makes a phenomenal difference to this team. And I almost think when Zinchenko's out, we worry about control. We worry about all of this. But actually, a fit and informed Ben White is absolutely critical. I felt he was magnificent on Sunday whether it was on the ball, whether it's off the ball, we shut everything down. He's just a brilliant, brilliant player. And one that if he stays fit till the end of the season, I think it matters a lot less what happens at left back. But Ben White remaining fit, strong and, and delightfully tanned will make a big difference to our season. I, I can't speak highly enough. My wife uh, commented on Ben White because I, 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 I just in passing went, I said, who do you think is the best looking Arsenal player? And she said, not Ben White. Oh, and I, I know. And I said, <laughs> what's, what's you thinking there? She said, she's a bit, he's a bit too Love Island for me. And I was like, that's fair enough. And she said, and his tan's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> he loves Dubai, that's all. Um, yeah, I mean, Kelly, Kelly, to be fair, Xhaka is, is, you know, I know he's gone, but she still talks about him. Yeah, so whilst we're talking about uh, key performances from Sunday, Bukayo Saka scored his 50th goal for the club and has now racked up 100 goal contributions. I think it's, it's about 
221 games or something like that that he's, that he's played, um, which is absurd. And I saw someone online say that at least 30 of those games were probably a left back as well. So it's a really, it's a really um, sensational record that he's that he's really racked up. I think as well, I saw Rio Ferdinand talking yesterday about whether he's world class, and it's it's a conversation that frustrated me. It seems to me like it's it's a comment that is simply inflammatory for the sake of being inflammatory. Whether he's world class or not is is kind of by the by. So he's twenty two. How many players at twenty two are better than Bukayo Saka? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I know we look at like Jude Bellingham as an example, but realistically, there aren't too many that are at his level, particularly in those attacking positions at that at that age. So that's why it always frustrates me when people go, oh, I don't know why Arsenal fans get so obsessed about Saka. Salah's miles better. It's just like, yes, Salah's also 32 or 33 or whatever he is. It's, it's not a fair comparison. At the same age, Saka's light years ahead. Like he's, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying for a minute that Saka is going to go on and achieve what Salah has achieved. I'm not I'm not making that comparison, but I just think it's absolutely ridiculous that, that in this country particularly, we're just we're so desperate for players to fall off a cliff. We're so desperate for a storyline that proves us right further down the line. Because all that is is like Ferdinand said, oh he hasn't done it in the Champions League stage at, at the the big level like the knockout rounds. And all he's waiting is for us to get knocked out and him to go, told you so. And it just, and it just it really frustrates me how the media react to fabulous players in this country rather than just enjoying them for what they are. Well, also there's there's a huge part to this that drives me up the wall because it's not like Salah, as an example, single handedly dismantled a team in a Champions League semi final. That just doesn't happen, right? Teams win games. Yeah, for example, their Barcelona comeback. I'm pretty sure the scorers in for four nil were Wijnaldum and Origi. They were class because they. Well, check, like, and Origi scored in the final, and I think Salah did score. Uh, it, it was, yeah. Yeah, that was the most nerve-wracking game that didn't involve Arsenal I've ever watched. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think with Saka, I saw that, and I just thought, look, OK, he's not world-class, fine. I'm actually happy. Don't think he's world-class, then stop doubling up on him. He's rubbish. Just, just, just leave him. He, he can't. He can barely beat a man. You know, just don't worry. Leave him. Just no one talk about him. He's not world class. Honestly, Bukayo Saka from 18 years old has been better than I thought he would be at every step of his evolution. And even now, I watch him, and I'm watching him get doubled up. And so often this season, mm, does Saka look right? Oh, I'm not sure. Well, he's scoring for fun. Like, he has scored a lot of goals. He's had top scorer now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think he is. And, he, and he's given up penalties as well. We, we've had loads of penalties this season, which is very unusual. But he could have had four, five, six more goals if he took every penalty. And when I think about that, he'd be, you know, second top scorer in the league. Well, for someone who isn't world class in a team that gets literally deep blocked every five minutes and he gets doubled up on, he's not bad then, is he? I mean, we'll just keep him not being world class and keep stop people thinking about him. I'm very happy with that. I suppose as there's a hundred to choose from, and it's goal involvement, so he's got 51 goals, 50 assists. When you think of what he's done so far, what stands out to you the most? Which which one or two really stick in the memory? Well, I, w- I watched um, a video of all of his goal involvements uh, on Twitter, and there's there's two that really stand out as ones that I, I, I just love, and I've picked one goal and one assist. And the one goal, I think, he's, when he scored against Manchester United from ridiculous distance, 
that was a goal I absolutely loved. It was a goal at a crucial time. I think that put us that put us two one up at the time, didn't it? And then obviously they they equalised, and then Eddie scored a uh, fabulous winner to make it three two. But that was obviously like a, a, another example of him against big teams scoring a big goal. And I think that's what he does. He is so often the man for the big occasion. And I, I also did a quiz on uh, on the Arsenal website. How'd you get on? Uh, I think I got like 28, which was disappointing. How many were there? 30. I got 28 as well. Who did you miss? I can't remember who I missed, but I think it was a couple Europa League ones I missed. Okay, I will tell you. The fact I got Bodo Glimt, right? I, I forgot them. I could not remember them for the life of me. I knew it was. I knew who it was. I just could not remember the name. But I didn't get standard Liège. I, I think we missed the same two then. And no, I no no I got Bodo Glimp. I didn't get Brentford. Brentford. Oh, that's poor. <laughs> that's really poor. <laughs> you you picked the two out that I missed. So yeah, I, I picked that uh, that goal, and then obviously as an assist, his his assist against Newcastle. I think you sort of expected that one for for Pepe to score. Um, that was sublime for five hundred points. Whose legs does he put it through? I I, I don't know. I don't know. Go and tell me. I don't know either. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> a, I remember it was some ropey Newcastle fullback. I'm going to have to look. Um, yeah, so I think those 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 are the two that stood out. But you could literally take any of them. Another, another one that I would give credit for is last season away at Aston Villa to make it one one. The the volley into the roof of the net was 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 brilliant. So which ones would you highlight as your? You're still looking it up, aren't you? Lazaro. <laughs> to be fair, this game when was it? That was worth more than 500 points. I. I Fair play if you got that. Bear in mind, this was only 2020. A few interesting things. The lineups are quite astonishing. I'll just quickly run through them. We had Leno, Bellerin, Mustafi, Louise, Saka. The fact we had Mustafi and Louise, when you reflect on Saliba and Gabriel, it's amazing that anyone insults this Arsenal team, even 1% if you're an Arsenal fan, because we suffered. And it's second midfield duo of Ceballos and Xhaka, and then Pepe, Ozil, Abamyang, and Eddie and Ketia led the line. I mean, Newcastle's is also fascinating. And they did set up with a midfield duo of Nabil Bentaleb and Sean Longstaff. Wow. That Danny Rose also featured at left back. Um, for me, uh, the goal that sticks out to me for Saka is his one against Tottenham to make it 3-0. And the reason being is much like the Declan Rice sort of there's extra spice on this one. He'd set up Smith Rowe, delightful. Then Abamyang scores a goal that was just astonishing. And then Harry Kane gives the ball away, chases all the way back, slides in. <laughs> it somehow finds Saka and he rolls it in the corner. It was like, oh my word, this guy, he's phenomenal. But to make it 3-0 against Tottenham, or uh, his goal against Leeds last season, I thought that was an outstanding finish in a game that lacked quality. But one of the things that's so underrated is his right foot as well. Even his finish against Forrest was exceptional with his right foot. He's really more two-footed than people think. Another right-footed one, I would say, is Everton last season. Uh, yeah, um, I agree. Again, very, very, quite similar to the Leeds goal, um, albeit from a, a slightly more favourable angle. Um, yeah. But yeah, just hammered right foot into the roof of that. He's, he's, he's really, really effective when it is a case of just needing to, needing to put your foot through it. He's really effective at that. Yeah, I'd also say Forrest um, at home start of the season. 
that left foot bender. Um, but then does it count if it's against Matt Turner? I'm, I'm not sure. Does he score the goal against West Brom? That's an unbelievable team move in lockdown. Or was that Smith Rowe? I'm pretty sure Smith Rowe passes it across to him. Uh, it was Saka who t- tapped it in, yeah. I mean, I know, I know it didn't really start with an individual goal, but that was the most Arsenal DNA goal we had in a long time. And it made you see green shoots of what we might be and what you're seeing now. So, yeah, I think those ones. Yeah, I think that's a, it's great to reminisce about just everything. I love just reminiscing about just Arsenal in general because it's always just so fun. <laughs> like, we're, we're very fortunate we've got... we've gotten to see so much fabulous football throughout our lives and obviously we would have preferred us to be a little bit more successful in terms of turning that into trophies but some of the football has been outrageously good that we've seen and we're, and we're very fortunate we're starting to see that again so this Saturday you and I are heading up to Burnley on the train providing nothing goes not wrong but wrong. The, 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 <laughs> but providing there's no uh, game changers in your life between now and Saturday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's hope not. Well, let's hope so. No, let's hope not. I'd like to go to Burnley. I never thought I'd say that sentence out loud. No, I mean, because you were out of it when we, when we went last year. You were like, not going again. Not going again. Uh, two years ago, sorry. Not going again. <laughs> and yet, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. I think what people don't realise who don't go to games, going to Burnley away means you and I will be on a train roughly anywhere between 7 and 8 o'clock, respectively, to get to Euston for a 9.30 start. We'll get to Burnley at roughly 1, 1.30, um, depending on how many beers we've had or not. We might just have coffee and breakfast, depending on what we think. And then you have a 90-minute match. It's about a 20-minute walk from the train station to Burnley. You go to the game. You sit on a wooden seat. You don't really sit. You can't really see what's going on. You don't really know why you're there. It'd probably be freezing. You'll have a load of angry northerners shouting at you, calling you a southern fairy. Um, then the game will finish. You will uh, expedite yourself from the situation as quickly as possible. You walk up the steepest hill imaginable to get back on the train and get home around midnight. So it's not all glamour following the Arsenal, <laughs> I must say. And ultimately... Anything other than a, a nice routine win will be alarming, to say the least, based on Burnley's trials and tribulations. I would be astonished if we can't go there and get three points. And to be honest, if we don't go and get three points there, considering our next game is Newcastle directly after a European away game, you know, it, it's, it's a bit worrying. But I do fancy us to, to, to get the job done. I don't think we'll win 6-0 against another Claret and Blue side, but you never know. Do you reckon seven, yeah? I think I think nine. <laughs> I mean, you, you've you've painted a wonderful picture of Burnley away. Um, it, it's exacerbated further for me because I will probably, as you say, get home at sort of half eleven, twelve, and then on Sunday morning at half nine, I have a flight to Porto to get a catch. <laughs> It's all glamour. That that's a bit more glamour going to Porto with my wife for a couple of days before the game, watching the game, then coming home. That's a bit more glamorous. But when I factored in the flight uh, initially, my wife said to me, um, "Oh, uh, should we should we fly out on Saturday because then we've got a little bit longer?" And I was like, "No, nah, I can't do that." And she was like, "Why?" And I was like, "Burnley away." <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to both trips because obviously Burnley is probably the last big away day before your huge life change. Mm. 
So that'll be a nice little. I wouldn't say send off because we're not we're not exactly retiring from the from the game, but uh, it'll be nice to spend a bit of time with you before before that happens. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we are currently doing a sweepstake, so the, the due date is tenth of March. So Brentford at home, um, and then well, and then the gods <clears throat> have a funny way of working for me, don't they? Uh, they do. You are the most fortunate man I've ever met. And our Chelsea home game is set to be the 16th of March. But if they beat Leeds at home in the Cup, it will get moved into April. So if the baby's got anything about her, she's got a two-week window. It goes Chelsea home and then an international break. Right? I've got... If The thing is, if she's born on the international break, that's every year. So if she cares about remaining part of the family early doors, <laughs> she'll cling on. Um, all jokes aside, the first game back is City away after that. So the first game of her life may be City away. And I'm expected to what, be quiet while she sleeps? <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, we'll see. Again, Kel doesn't listen. Negotiations are underway already for certain fixtures. But yeah, it should be great. I'm looking forward to getting the train. I know this is one of those weird things, but getting the train is absolutely extortionate. It's about 90 quid each. But the the, the joy of doing that with a load of other Arsenal fans. And sometimes if you get a good win or a couple of other results as you're travelling back, because it's City v Chelsea on the way back. If Chelsea do us a favour... It will be an electric atmosphere on that train. So, yeah, exciting times. we just got to keep going. we just got to keep this run going. And hopefully it will lead to great, great, great things. And looking forward to the Champions League being back. I'm very envious of your trip, mate. Yeah, so that's probably a really good time to bring the podcast to a close. We're going to take a break next week because of my um, involvement in the Champions League. Uh, hopefully I'll get a game. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so because of that, we are not recording next week. So we'll try and get one out the week after, depending on what fits our schedules. But thank you very much for listening to everyone. Thank you for your time today, Andre. And I look forward to seeing you on Saturday bright and early for our trip to Burnley. Very excited, mate. Thank you very much for listening. And if you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, again, look at our website, which is theboysandbenandwhite.com. And you can find us on all social media channels. Thank you very much and goodbye. Oh, no.